All right. Welcome, everyone, back to Dissecting Popular IT Nerds. Today, we have with us Mike Kelly on the show, Chief Information Officer. You're one of the first CIOs we've had on the show. I mean, we should probably talk about really what what is a, a CIO versus a CTO. I've had this conversation before. I already forgot. You know, yeah. but kind of kind of a big deal over at MVT Services. So we're going to talk about, well, first of all, why are you chief information officer? And then second of all, what the heck is a rail gun? Let's, let's just go there. <laughs> so um, a rail gun, you know, it, it's a, a gun where the uh, payload is delivered using magnetism. So they, with a serious electrical charge and electromagnets, they can fire um, projectiles at, at super high rates of speed. Um, anybody that's been reading science fiction has been hearing about rail guns for for decades, actually. And, th- and this is different from the uh, someone could send out some sort of electromagnetic um, wave and like knock out all communications. There's there, there's speak of that that people like to t- talk about as well. Yeah, yeah, that's an EMP electromagnetic pulse that has no well, typically isn't really defined or isn't focused at a, a specific target. And the rail gun is you take a couple of, like, imagine um, railroad tracks and you run electricity through them so that you've got that magnetic pulse running down those rails and that pushes the payload out towards in the direction that you want. Um, when I first heard about it, they were the uh, scientists that came to our class and talked to us about it back in, I was in ninth grade. Um, was talking about using this as a way of getting rid of radioactive waste by shooting it into the sun um, or using this as a way to launch um, things into space. Uh, and this is so, this is cool because it's like real super nerdy, yeah. you know, rail guns and electromagnetic waves and, and launching stuff into space. And it was like ninth grade and it kind of gives us a little bit of insight into Mike Kelly and, and how he got started in life, right? So what what are we launching into space? Trash? Like, what are we doing? Why should we be well, launching anything into space anyways? Yeah, you know, it was just an example that the, uh, the scientist was giving for it. Um, in science fiction, they're using it as um, cannons on spaceships for defense or for aggression. Um, you know, at some point, I imagine that they'll make them small enough that you'll have one as a, um, a personal weapon. Um, right now, it's just not economical for a personal weapon. But, you know, it, it's different than the, uh, the black powder weapons that we have today, uh, shooting bullets. You know, it's just another way of moving a projectile forward. Would it be silent? Um, I, you know what, I probably have some kind of air, know. you know, it have some kind of like, I'm sure it could be more of a, more of a silent uh, electromagnetic guns. Yeah. Why is it, why do we always think of weapons? You know, why do we always think of weapons when we come up some, with some new, you know, some well, new technology or something, you know, it's always a weapons, you know, we, we were talking about the atomic bomb as well. Yeah. We, we're, we're really not summarizing this well at all, but this is cool. <laughs> this is exactly why we do this. Yeah. Um, you know, Really, like, you know, atomic power, right? First thought, how can we make a bomb? You know, electromagnetic uh, propulsion, how can we make a gun? You know, what's up with that? You know? 
Well, think about it, though. We actually have used this in other ways. Um, I believe the bullet trains in um, Japan and, and that region of the world are running off of magnets versus um, other ways. So they are using it in positive ways as good energy versus, you know, diesel. It's, it's kind of appropriate considering the, you know, the industry that you're in, right? Yeah. So, I mean, what do you think about America's infrastructure and our ability to uh, move stuff around? Um, it's, it's been interesting. You know, I, I really never thought about it growing up as a, as a kid and through my um, early 20s. And then I got a job working at a, a trucking company and um, have now been involved in it. There's been times where we've had to, not had to, but, but delved into um, coopetition with the railroads. Mm. So there would be times that we would like take our trailers, bring them to a railhead, put them onto a train, move it across the country at a lower rate than we could drive it across the country, but at a slower rate and sometimes less reliable, um, thus cheaper. Uh, and we, we just kind of struggled with that and some of our customers didn't like that unreliability of it. So <laughs> we've gotten away from that and that's you know known as multimodal transportation. There's going to be a ton, a ton of efficiencies to be gained that, that you could, you know, that we could wrap our, our, our minds around. There's got to be a ton of efficiencies in the, in the future, right, that we, that we could be doing, doing things differently. But kind of like uh, how the internet was born and, and how we do even network infrastructure in the United States, we spent so much money on copper. We spent so much money on digging trenches for so long. You know, we've got one of the best infrastructures in the world, but kind of one of the lower kind of behind the times as far as, you know, you know, what's the word efficiency, I guess. Is, well, is we and we love our truckers over here. We really do. I've got a lot of Russian friends. I would say of all my Russian friends, 80% of them are truck drivers. And I asked them, what's the best thing about America? You know, I'm asking, talking to Russians. You got to ask them, you know, like, well, why, why America? What's the best thing about America? And they're like, the roads. How much damage did companies like ourselves do to those roads every day because you know usually when i'm driving on them i'm feeling the bumps and you see the ruts from where all of the trucks have been going and yeah you, you kind of feel that um so, but you know what you bring up an interesting thing to me um that that i run into a lot and that's you know trying to stay on the leading edge of technology uh-huh. so evaluate a technology today and think oh you know it's um it's got a little ways to go, either that or we'll latch onto it and then we'll mm. leverage it for a couple of years mm-hmm. and not look at the evolution of that technology so that, you know, the infrastructure that we have in the United States and all of that copper. So we latched mm. onto that copper, we distributed, we created mm. this great network infrastructure. Mm. And as we consumed that and continue to consume that, um, other countries have said, well, you know what, copper is not the best way. Let's Let's lay down our fiber infrastructure. And so they get ahead of us because of being behind us, which it's really kind of an interesting dichotomy. But it, it's bitten me multiple times in different ways. Okay. So back to the CIO thing real quick. Uh-huh. Why CIO? Why not CTO? 
do titles really matter? I mean, they definitely matter. In, it's, you know, that's how I find those, you on LinkedIn. <laughs> those two, not really, but I mean, I could, I could easily try to define them based on the uh, terms inside of them. You know, information being more of the digital side and technology being more of the physical technology. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, if we were at an organization that was large enough, I could see a CIO and a CTO at the same organization. Um, in my place, I'm acting as both, you know, whether it's the physical infrastructure or whether it's the, um, the virtual infrastructure. Um, I, I get to deal with both sides of it. It's kind of like what comes first, the data or the infrastructure? Yeah. I would say that, you know what I mean? Like, so it, from, a, from a C-level perspective, like we've got an IT director, we've got an IT manager. He's taking care of the network. He's taking care of the infrastructure. And we're collecting all this data. So I think maybe the CIO comes first. Because now, like, how are we going to grow as a company? What are we going to do with this data? How are we going to analyze it? Uh, how are we going to turn this into reports? How are we going to use this data to grow as a company? Um, this is just me talking out loud here. I don't, you know, just an assumption here. I would think the CIO might come first. Yeah. Well, and, but I, I think it really kind of depends on the industry too, because that physical technology might be more of the focus than, than the data. So in our industry, you know, that, that data is helping us set ourselves apart with kind of standardized um, hardware that, that we use within the industry. You know, a, a semi-truck is a semi-truck. Now, there's all kinds of things that you can do to make that semi-truck more um, optimized. And whether you care about that or not, you've got to be able to measure those differences and know whether it, it's actually helping or not. Mm. But I would think that if I was building, um, I'm trying to think of a good example, but if I was... If I was in the manufacturing business, that technology of how I'm producing the uh, item that we're selling, um, that might be more important than the information. Mm. And even more important than maybe the product, because we're certainly making tires to wear out, but we got to make those tires a heck of a lot faster. (laughs) <laughs> well, and, and actually that's, you know, that's one of the side businesses that we have is a, is a tire company. So they make a part of it so that it wears out, but they also make the core of it stronger so that you can grab that core and retread it and then put it back out on the road. Hmm. Hmm. So yeah, when they, the trucking company starts manufacturing tires, we're going to get better tires. Yeah, because we know what we want out of it. Exactly. But, but it's kind you, of genius. Gotta, you gotta put that entrepreneurial hat on and, and decide, you know, at what point do you want to make more money at the tire company than you want to run more efficiently at the trucking company? And yeah, yeah it all depends. Are, are we selling tires or are we making the tires for us? Yeah. Um hmm, wow, double-edged sword. This kind of just kind of reminds me of your your founder. So I think it's always interesting how a company starts up. It's interesting to me the kind of duality between like a visionary leader and someone that's like an ops leader. Do you think it can be both? Can you be a visionary leader and be the leader and also be the guy that's like has his hands in the operations and needs everything to work like a machine? Or do you have to have like two separate minded people, two different types um, of, you know what I mean? I don't know if you've read the book rocket fuel, but the, the book rocket fuel kind of talks about the two different, like behind every great leader, there's a, uh, 
like um, an, an, an integrator, right? There's a visionary and there's an integrator. Like the visionary is just like crazy guy with all these ideas and like, you know, thinking him, can't stop the ideas from like coming into his head. And then there's the integrator, the guy that kind of like controls it all and kind of says, no, like we got to stay on, we got to stay on target here. You're, you're going to focus on this and focus on, okay, that's a good idea. We should layer that in, but no, you got to, you got to wait. You can't do all this. You got to integrate all this stuff. We definitely had the two different sides. The, the owner had a partner or has a partner and that, that partner was always kind of that visionary, that um, idea guy. Whereas, you know, the primary owner is more of, he was always that businessman. He was looking at these ideas and going, okay, I can make this much off of that idea. Let's do this one. Uh-huh. And, and, you know, he could, he could, his, I don't have a better way of saying this, but his bullshitometer, you know, he, he could see whether it was a, something real or whether it was something that somebody What's the fastest path, the fastest yeah. path to profitability and, and cash. And, and that's, that's the point of a business. Take oil. You know, there's, we, mm. we were working with somebody just recently and they changed one of the fundamental um, ways we were doing something to make mm. their product look better. And had the owner not picked up on that, he probably would have been sold on the efficiencies that this product added. So it wasn't really an efficiency. What was it? Um, so it's supposed to be an efficiency by um, making the trucks more aerodynamic. Uh-huh. So one of the primary things that helps make large trucks like that aerodynamic is how far away is the trailer from the tractor? Yep. So if they're snugged up next to each other, then they make their own aerodynamics. But if you, they, there's that fifth wheel where the, the trailer connects in. Yep. If you leave that fifth wheel where you can move it, which is the natural design or almost every truck is designed that way, mm-hmm. um, then you can kill your own uh, efficiency, the, the miles per gallon that you get. So you got to put that little fender on the top of the cab or something like that, that little like diagonal thing, right? I'm assuming that that's yeah. what that's for. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. The aerodynamics. So when this, um, this vendor slid our fifth wheel back to be able to add their product to the, uh, the truck, well, our trucks became less efficient and thus he was able to show more efficiency once he added his product. But uh-huh. when we put our trailer back to the position where we normally have them without their product. So it was like Robin Peter to pay Paul kind of thing. Yeah. And, and being able to catch that stuff, that's where that, that entrepreneurial mindset, that one that we were talking about of the business guy yeah. um, versus the idea guy. The idea guy is like, oh, check this out. You know, if we, if we do this or if we do that, it's going gonna, it's gonna to help us this way. Huh. So you gotta, you got to figure out what's real and what's not. Where do you think that exists in our industry and in technology? Let's say, for example... Cisco, is there a lot of extra complication and a lot of extra selling and a lot of extra courses going on there? Or, I mean, what's the deal with that? I like to pick on them. I like to pick on them a little bit. Um, yes, there is all kinds of extra stuff there. I mean, it's um, one of the things that we did was we, we went away from Cisco at our organization only to find ourselves um, fully enmeshed in Cisco because they purchased the technology we started using. But the, <laughs> the benefits that we got by switching away 
Um, I went from having to hire um, certified people who had yeah. um, years of experience and very yeah. specialized experience in Cisco mm-hmm. to being able to let my um, my help desk manager and my director of IT um, become the network people. They no longer had to have all of that Cisco training and the yeah. DNA and the CCOE and you know the five separate levels or certifications of Cisco. Yeah, that's crazy. And that's why I'm a big fan. I, you mentioned you were you were migrating to Ring Central, and I'm a fan of Ring Central. I am. Everyone knows that. Um, not for every situation, but in general, I'm a fan. And uh, you know, going from a, a Cisco call manager to Ring Central is like, you know, my 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 17 year old daughter and my 14 year old kid could probably manage your call center. Could probably manage your Ring Central account. They could. I know they could. It yeah. would take a week maximum, and that's overkill to teach them how to add users, delete users, make changes, call routes, and all that stuff. And they'd have to go take a course and graduate uh, to manage a Cisco call manager. They'd have to spend years working with it too to be able to do anything besides a, a simple setup. We used to have, I had, I had this friend that works for Microsoft now years ago I, I, when I was at the Cisco startup. And uh, we used to have this thing, we used to go like, that's a stupid thing. <laughs> we used to say that all the time. <laughs> like, that's a stupid thing. And that's just like, you know, we just had that like little catchphrase that we would say all the time. And that's a stupid thing. Like, really? Come on. Like, you don't need that. That's just, to me, that's inefficiency. And I don't understand that. Maybe it's part of, maybe they think it's called making our customers sticky, you know, and creating this whole culture. And, you know, it's just funny to me that a company is responsible for accreditation and courses and a whole life, spending a whole decade of taking courses and and maintaining the certs and, and all that stuff. It's cool. I mean, but it's, you know, good for them. Um, it's just, you know, that's crazy. Like, for, at least from the from the telecom standpoint. So, yeah, well, I mean, congratulations on on simplifying your life and making your yeah, team's life. Um, that's, you know, that's yeah. one of the biggest things there is that, that Cisco is trying to solve absolutely every problem with their product when it comes to interconnectivity of devices. And and but I mean, you you know that's stupid. Um, they kept trying to it's sell a stupid me thing. On, yeah, <laughs> they kept trying to sell me on conference, um, video conference technology. And oh, we they all know that's a joke. Fifty to three hundred thousand dollars for it, and I'm going. But guys, I can get a camera and, and Skype for free. Why Anyone that's I- on WebEx and listening to this podcast, this is where we t- I always forget to take my commercial breaks. By the uh, way, you if you like listening to Dissecting Popular IT Nerds, please go to the App Store and give us an honest review, an honest review of the podcast. Because I hear that if I get like 150 reviews on Apple iTunes specifically, I will be in the top 100 uh, technology podcast. So if anyone's listening to this, if you could be so kind, it would really be like your good deed of the day to do that. Uh, second thing, if you are on WebEx, really, if you're on WebEx, and I hope I don't, you know, you know or any other platform, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like really. Um, just give me a call because I can enter some numbers into a quick little spreadsheet and I promise you we'll save you, uh, I don't know, 60% of complete wasted 
money that is just going for something simple. Not simple, but you know, video conferencing is important. Collaboration is important. Um, uh, writing on a whiteboard with a dongle in in uh, in India and in Canada and in uh, Thailand and in the UK and at the United States all at the same time and not having any latency issues or jitter issues that's important. But you don't have to pay. You don't have to pay, and you're going to pay in many ways. Pain, yeah. why, pain, why time, money. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, enough of that. Um, Cisco does do, do some good things. Uh, I don't Did know. You? Fifty-two port uh, PoE gig switches. There you go. Yeah, and they're they're solid devices, and they run for decades. There you um, go. But, but they're expensive, and the people that you have to hire to manage them are expensive, and it's way more complicated than you need to be. Um, we we spoke before uh-huh. about internships, and. Right. We talked about growth in general. Your first computer, you couldn't use. You were a complete failure. Uh, nope. You could not use your first computer. Um, I don't remember what brand it was. I, I just know it was a hand-me-down from my mom who worked for El Paso Natural Gas, and she had it working. Um, but I, I was handed a, a computer with no instruction manual, no hint at all of how it worked. Um, it took me a few years to recognize the fact that that it needed a tape, like a cassette tape. An LP. Yeah, for all you millennials, that's called an, an LP. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, yeah. and you were in New Mexico, which is like another world in the United States. Love yeah. it, by the way. Uh, anyone that has been in New Mexico, it's, I mean, really, I'm from Maine. I'm in Maine right now in the Northeast, right? It just New Mexico is like a totally different world. Um, okay, so your computer ran on LP. You could not figure that out. Uh, right. You were from a small town in New Mexico. I'm summarizing, summarizing what we talked about before. So, I mean, how much technology um, okay. influence so, or, you know, access to... I get that, that small town in Los Alamos. Um, some of the other nerds out there have to recognize that name. That's Los Alamos, New Mexico. You know, it's hidden up in the mountains up north of Santa Fe. But it's where the atomic bomb was created. And that's, you know, one of the reasons that this keeps entering into our conversation. So um, supposedly the highest per capita of PhDs in the world. And, mm. you know, I, I was born that's like in... Saying, that's like saying New Jersey has the most, uh, um, what is it called when you, um, you, you have to license your product? New Jersey has the most, uh, anywho, go ahead. Yeah, what, uh, anyways, keep going. Um, so Do you I, have the highest number of PhDs? Yeah, born and raised there. And, you know, sitting there with, in school with all of these other kids. And, and none of us really realize the combined intelligence of all of our parents. We all know that our parents go work at this laboratory and come home and can't talk to us because they all have security clearances and they can't tell us about their day. Um, but, but we're provided with all kinds of other opportunities that we don't recognize. I think They're like, believe me, you need to know this. I can't tell you why, but you need to know this. Son, yeah. you need to know this. <laughs> uh, there were, oh man, there's so many little stories that I can tell. But the largest class I think I ever was in was maybe 30 students throughout my whole, um, you know, 
scholastic career from kindergarten all the way through high school. So all of the classes were small. Uh, we had, you know, the teachers are of quality that can have conversations with all of these PhDs at the laboratories. Um, we, we talked about my failure at that first computer, but in seventh grade, um, we have a classroom full of Apple IIEs. For me, seventh grade was um, 1981. And so in 81, I get a chance to, to do some programming on a, an Apple IIE and the, uh, the class that they, or the program that the teacher wanted us to write was um, 99 bottles of beer on the wall. And, and all we were supposed to do was just loop through it and, and decrement the counter and go from 99 down to zero and stop. And um, being the, uh, the, you know, I, I told myself I was never going to be a programmer, but I add to that program and I make it where you can do a data entry into it. All he wanted was for it to display on the screen, 99 bottles of beer on the wall, 99 bottles of beer, and then just decrement um, and play those lines again. Well, I have to add in a, a data entry point. So how many bottles of beer do you want to do? And put in 15 and then it runs through the cycle. And so I, I use that as a way of debugging my program as I'm creating it. But, you know, I just, it's one of the things that I did but I didn't recognize that how many other kids had a classroom of computers in 1981. No, not many. If they okay. did, it was like a high school laboratory with a punch card, you know, a system. I mean, 81, I was five. So yeah. let's see. I stayed back in first grade. So I wasn't even until we had the computer lab. Let's see. I can remember fourth grade having an Apple IIe with a double disk drive. So that would have been, geez, I don't know. What is that? 87, 85, somewhere in there? It's a floppy disk, too. Not, not the, the uh, two and a half inch with the. No, five and a quarter or whatever, yeah. <laughs> yeah, five and yeah. a quarter. The boot disk. Floppy you had to use disc. a boot disk. And the boot disk wasn't so that you could install Windows on the machine. The boot disk was so you could boot it up. Yeah. And then take yeah, it out. That's what I used that LP for to boot the damn thing up. Like, turn it on and get the cursor <laughs> on the screen. But beyond that, it was just like, Okay, now what? <laughs> so the, the thing is, is you, you had this kind of, you, you had this There's opportunity. Weird. Yeah, yeah. And, but what's interesting though is to me, you said what hurt you was not doing internships with technology by the time you like got to college or something. I just find that interesting. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think of, did I have any internships? No, I worked at Jim's Wings. You know, and, and so I'm I'm working on my my degree and getting a bachelor's of business administration with a, a major in business computer systems, and I'm bartending, and I'm already raising a family. You know, I've got my first kid. Um, uh, actually, by that time, the second kid was already there. I'm working full time, going to school full time, and the um, classmates who are because I didn't go back to college until I was 25. And so I'm in class with these kids who have just left high school and started going to school and working on the same degrees. And during the summers, they go get internships and go work for um, other government agencies and, and places around the state in New Mexico. And when I graduated, um, when I was going to those job fairs, they're like, okay, what experience do you have? 
well, I bartended and, and I've got the highest grades in the class and all of these other guys that you're, you're hiring came to me for help with debugging their programs. Um, but they're like, but what experience do you have? What was the job so, fair? Yeah, at, at the job fair. So it, it, oh, but what was the job fair? Like, I just like talk to me about a job fair. So you know, the job fair, the university would put on a job fair. So they, they would, still do. Jo- do you think they still do that type of stuff? They do. They do because we participated in them. I I send my team to these job fairs to look for people to do internships because because of how it hurt me. I'm trying to make sure that opportunities out there for the next generation and the generation after. And plus, you know, I, I, it gives us a chance to bring some people in. And I'm telling you guys that the, what I was educated in and what the real world does, are completely different things. Hmm. Yeah, and, of course. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's one of the things that I missed out by not doing the internship. I didn't get that introduction to the real world until after I had my degree and had to take basically the only job that was in that degree specialty that I could get, which was working for the university that I just got the degree from. (laughs) So the experience working at the, once you got the experience, what was, did that create the stepping stone? In other words, what you're saying is if you can get an internship or you can work in the field that you want to be in, do it. Do it because it, it'll help give you an idea of what to expect and what's what's really out there. Because you know what I experienced in programming in class was vastly different than what I experienced in programming for the university and trying to debug other people's code and fix uh, on computer problems. Uh, and so it just it helped me understand more about the real world. Now, you know, when, when we were talking earlier, um, one of the things that you asked was, was, was I really hurt by not having those internships? And actually, I think, you know, you, you brought up a good question because my time bartending and learning how to do business um, gave me another unique perspective that I was able to bring the natural talent that I had in programming and problem solving and blend the experiences that I had from business and problem solving in business, bring the two together. And that's what gave me, I think, a leg up on my coworkers um, at MVT. You know, I, I was able to provide a level of customer service and I could see the problem in the perspective of business. Why is the business trying to do this? And why is it important to be successful at whatever, or at fixing whatever problem was brought to me? Now, I think ultimately what we're saying here is you end up where you end up because you should be there. <laughs> but For sure. what's but what's what's the real kind of like deep philosophical thing here? It's uh, believe in yourself and keep pushing forward, and you'll end up where you where you end up. Um, but 
And the only reason why I say that is because I had my first kind of technology job, I guess, would be working for Quest Wireless doing, you know, like cell phone stuff and, and repair and then working for large business cell phone accounts. Um, and then I worked for Starbucks for like four years managing a store and taking care of a P&L and profit and loss and managing all kinds of craziness, security. And then when I went to the Cisco startup, the experience I had running a business and reporting and understanding gross margin and flow through profit and cost of goods and labor and understanding that 15 minutes of labor, you know, per hour, per day, per week, a month, whatever, all those different factors really flow through to the bottom line. That made me, that experience made me the top Cisco consultant within six months. So did you ever have the experience of figuring out that sometimes technology is not the answer? And sometimes the, the best answer is to just let that person who's um, manually pushing their way through it, do it. Because sometimes the amount of effort that I'll put into trying to automate a solution or that my teammates put into trying to automate a solution, um, we can pay somebody minimum wage to just sit there and stuff envelopes and get it done. Oh, there's definitely something to be said with delegation. Yeah. Well, and what about taking tickets? I mean, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of people don't understand that outsourcing your help desk isn't outsourcing your job. You know, they don't understand. A lot of people don't understand that there's certain things in IT that you can outsource. Sometimes you don't, you want to bring it in house. Sometimes it's no, I came to a place and my help desk was outsourced and we got to bring it back in house because I can do it better. Other times it's, well, this is just a complete waste of our time and we should really be focusing more on, you know, I don't know, business drivers and things like that. And, you know, using technology as a business force multiplier. And it really just depends on the situation. So I guess the answer is yes and no. Yeah. Well, it, context. You so the know data the center, people. I mean, should we should we host our own data center? Uh, I don't think so anymore. <laughs> <laughs> should we have, should we have Microsoft closet. Exchange? Should we have an exchange server, you know, oh sitting in a closet? Oh my God. That was... That was one of the hardest lessons. And, and actually, it was one of the greatest reliefs to get rid of that on-premise exchange server and go to a cloud service, that software as a service. So why do people still have PBXs? It's a box. It's just another server. Because they're afraid or because they like they think that they've got better control or... Paid for, it's cheap. I mean, what are we using phones for anyways, right? Yeah, well, anymore. You know, you know how hard it's been to get people to set down that handset and instead pick up a headset and and leverage the computer that's in front of them. Now, agreeably, I don't think a decade ago that the PCs that we had and the network connections that we had um, really were optimized for it. But anymore, you know, the the speeds I get on my cell phone are absolutely amazing compared to what I got when I first started. When when I used to use that AOL disk to get on the internet and the modem, our, our cell phones get, what, 40 megs per second? Now, on just a regular connection? 
Let, that's before we go into buying. Yeah. For sure. You know, I, I've supported offices of five to 10 people on a cell phone connection, letting them do voice, letting them do video, having all of the activity they need. Because we had to, we had to get an office up and running faster than I could get anything delivered to that office. We used a cellular connection and fed that to the, uh, the router that then provided the connectivity for everybody in the office. Now, 10 people's pushing it, but five people, easy. Hmm. The only problem is if, if they're all gamers. <laughs> if they're all gamers or if they're all streaming video, well, they're going to step on each other. But if they're, they're doing regular average work, you know, emails, whatever application, that, that's a single cellular connection is enough for five people. What do you do to uh, manage application load? Uh, um, depends on what it is and what's going on. And, and usually it's, if any more, any more of the computers that we buy today, I equate it to something like, you know, buying a Ferrari and always driving the speed limit. Why? Why pay that much <laughs> for a Ferrari when that VW bug is going to get you to the speed limit as fast as you need to, and you're never going to go past that. That is why I have a VW Jetta, and <laughs> I could be I could be driving around something else, but I don't. Yeah, I mean, you can get something that makes it look flashy and stuff, but do you ever really use all 100% of your CPU and RAM anymore? Hmm. And if you do, well, then you can prove it. Then you upgrade that piece of hardware and the application constraints go away. It's true. When my daughter was buying, uh, she was buying her, her MacBook and she's like, well, I've got to have, you know, a, a 500 whatever SSD drive. I was like, no, you don't. I was like, cause I don't even need that. Yeah. Cause the biggest just, thing you guys need is connection to the internet so that you can get at whatever you store online. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, how much of your business education, what was more important, your business education or your lack of internship? If you could have traded the two, would you have traded the two? Because um, you're a CIO right now with yeah. business education no technology internships. And, you know, one of the biggest themes that we, I find on the show is that most people need, need to be able to sell the value of IT. Well, and that's, okay, that's where um, the business education and customer service comes in. Um, the, the customer service, I think, was one of the biggest lessons for me, the sales. Sales and customer service, I think, are almost the same thing. But um, it's, it's a good question. I think that if I had had those internships, my life would have took, taken a different trajectory. Um, you might but, be still managing stuff in the closet, man. You might still be working the server in the closet. Yeah. Well, I still have, I still have multiples of those, but I'm trying to work on getting rid of them. It's just. Certain things are hard. That's because they're like AS400s or something. <laughs> yep. That's part <laughs> of it. 
the AS400s and all of the ancillary systems that that um, feed off of that that damn thing. Or some weird old CRM that has like some like soldered like you know <laughs> license on a chip somewhere. Soldered dongle to the back so that nobody can yeah. pull it out. Yeah, yeah. My kids are my kids are ready to are ready to come in and, and invade this podcast any second. It hasn't happened yet. It hasn't happened out of the eighty eight podcast, but I can tell it's about to happen. Um, what else we got? Piece like as far as as far as a piece of advice piece of advice for people in IT that didn't get to grow up in, um, you know, Los Alamos. Am I pronouncing that right? You know, with a a very, you know, privileged PhD family, family of PhD holders, you know, and an LP, LP running. It wasn't part of the PhD group, but, you know, just it was that the culture of that. And and, I I am recognizing the fact that, yes, it was very privileged in, in those senses. You get um, to ride on the you get to ride on the curtails of the other people in the PhD town, yeah. okay, and uh, but no, but being serious, the modern day kid, kids, my kids don't know, my kids do not know what it's like to not have a device that has a touch screen on it, okay, they don't know. Yeah. My one year old child swipes the TV, tries to swipe the flat screen TV in the house. Oh. Because they're like they expect it. They, they yeah. that's what everything else does. Why doesn't that? Come on, Dad, fix it. <laughs> what are they gonna do when the earthquake happens and all the cell phone towers go down? I mean, I'm just saying. You know, what's like what's the advice? Oh well, that advice is different than where I was gonna head. <laughs> you're, like, you're like that is like uh, quickly uh, get online and start Google. Oh wait a second. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, in, in that case, it's get off the device, go outside, and go camp, man. Go find. We'll find out what it's like to get away from a cell signal where, you know, if you don't, if you don't have a, a hand crank power generator, your device will die within yeah. what, 12, 24 hours. <laughs> um, you know, get out there and, hand and crank generate the world. Just don't go into the wild. Just don't go to Alaska and live in a bus. <laughs> Maybe. Just don't, that could happen. You know, that's the extreme. We're on such extremes lately. It's like, well, what, is, what, is, what happened in the middle path? Yeah. What the, happened in the middle the tiny path? houses or, or the tents on top of vehicles. Have you seen those? <laughs> I'd have to have, I, I thought of the tiny houses thing before. I'd have to have uh, at least 10 of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for your family, yes. You know, I, was, I was thinking, when I, when I moved, I, I actually thought of, there was two properties. The house they were in now, and then there was like this like little piece of property with this like group of like motels on it. And I actually contemplating buying it and like renovating it. It was a kind of a horror movie, like, you know, like some like rundown, like, you know, like kind of like hotel thing. And my kids were like, that'd be kind of cool. We could each have our like own little house. I was, I was actually contemplating it. And then I got real. So no, for real though, what's, what's the piece of advice and, and something, you know, what, what do we have that's real concrete here? Maybe different. Well, there's, there's a couple of, couple of pieces of advice that I always try to give the new members on our, our team. And one of the first ones is to ask why. Understand why. What, what is the person trying to do? Because, you know, working at a help desk or managing a help desk, and, and now it's just a, a subcomponent of the overall. But people come to IT or to us and they say, 
I need this. And they tell us how to provide them with the solution that they're looking for. But they don't tell us what their goal is. So I, I've taught my people to find out what that goal is because there's lots of times that I've found out that I have a better path to the goal than the, um, the coworker that's bringing me the problem. They're, they're bringing me the problem. They've used the tool set that they know of to create a solution. And, and there's been times where I'm like, wait, we don't need to do all of that. Watch what you can do in Excel. Or guess what? <laughs> They've already built this report. Here's the menu option where it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's um, some know, real so Stephen Covey stuff there. Start with the end in mind. Yeah, find out what the goal is because then there's times that you can just get to it and, and help them. Um, and then the other thing is a, a philosophy of mine, and, and that's around that customer service, and it's follow, um, follow up, follow through. So, you know, if I fix something for you, Phil, and um, you say, okay, cool, that's good. And, and we walk away. Well, I need to come back to you in a day or two and say, hey, everything's still good? And, and you know, that's the follow-up. And then wait like two more weeks and come back again and say, everything's still good? Because in my experience, people, people will tend to hold on to the problem. And suddenly, you know, you walk through the main room of, of the building that you work at, and suddenly they're like, oh, oh, hey, Mike, hey, Mike. And suddenly they just dump all these problems on you. Hmm. Or you and get weird so, stares. Yeah. Weird. So now I've got all of these things to fix. But if I keep coming back and making sure that the things that I've fixed actually got fixed and, and that it hasn't morphed into a new problem, hmm. um, then the satisfaction of your coworkers and your customers will be huge. Follow up, follow up, follow up. Yeah, follow up, follow through. You, you got to, it's two distinct actions and you got to make sure that you're um, taking care of it. Because yeah, you do all those things and then it becomes real easy to sell the technology. I mean, selling technology when you're going, when you can prove that you can get to the goal isn't hard. It's hmm. self, self. Yeah, it's the little things, you know. I, I had a manager once that said TLT all the time. The little things can be you know, for a user, if there's this one little annoying thing or this thing that's always getting in the way, it's like the whole thing's annoying. Yeah. And if you show them those shortcuts and not only you, one of the other things that I've always done too, is I never tell somebody here, just move and let me sit there <laughs> and fix it. I, I show them how to fix it. I walk them through fixing it so that now they can fix that problem and tomorrow they'll bring me something more interesting. Versus that same damn thing. If I keep pushing them out of the way and fixing it for them, you know, it, it's that that uh, saying of you know, um, teach a man to fish. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, I've always been a. You'll I, feed them for a lifetime. So many yeah. people in my career that like hoard their knowledge. They feel like their worth is defined in what they know, so they've got to keep that from you. Um, because otherwise sharing that knowledge takes away their value. Yeah. That's when those people become replaceable real quick. Yeah. And you want to replace them because you want people, you want everybody doing things. 
the, the more that everybody in our, our organization understands IT and leverages that IT, the more interesting puzzles and problems and challenges that they bring. And that I makes a, my uh, job more important. I had a, a, a very good IT manager, director for a pretty large company the other day say, Phil, look, man, I, I like to be lazy. I'll be honest with you. I don't know about all these IT directors that are saying like, I need to work hard and do this. Easy. Honestly, I, I like to be lazy. Help me be lazy. <laughs> in other words, automate. Get this crap off my plate. No, hey, I don't. Sure I wasn't mean to. Let me just be honest with you. Let me tell you a little secret about IT directors. They really don't work hard. They want to be lazy. You, know, and you want the computer to do it. <laughs> let, let the system handle the work. That's, that's why I'll spend so much time Trying to automate something that I should just let a manual process. Like my headline on LinkedIn's like, I help busy IT directors or how can busy IT directors, you know, streamline or, you know, whatever it is. Right. And I was, I felt like changing it to like, I help lazy IT directors become more lazy. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, it's true, but I don't think it's the right tagline. <laughs> no, you know, like, ah, oh, ha, ha. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it has been a, a pleasure having you on the show, and there, there's there's more that we could probably talk about, like more atomic bombs and and magnetic uh, magnetic guns. guns. Yeah, magnetic rail guns. Rail guns. People Google that. Google rail gun. Uh, they're probably already everyone already knows it. And I'm not the nerd. Uh, so thank you so much. Been a, been a huge pleasure having you on the show, and we look forward to having you on again in the future. Yeah, appreciate it, and would love to come back. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank <laughs> you.